Hi everybody, you're listening to The Rope Podcast with Box and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show. This is a show with adult content, so if you are not of legal age where you live, then turn off now. Rope bondage is a risky activity, and you shouldn't attempt it without first getting proper training. Listen to episode zero if you haven't already. Fox is a rigger, and Maya is a bottom. We are long-term rope partners who live in Bangkok, Thailand. We love to share our passion for rope with the wider community. This episode is made possible by our patrons who support us each month. If you would like to help, head to ropepodcast.com to see many options. This year, we want to focus on bringing the Rope Podcast to a wider audience. To achieve that, we would like to ask you to follow us on Instagram and reshare this episode in your Instagram stories. We are Rope Podcast on Instagram. Another thing that helps us is if you give us a star rating on Apple Podcasts. It's anonymous, so you won't have your name visible on the internet connected with a kinky podcast, don't worry. And now, going on with the show. Hey, dear listeners. This is part two of our interview with Fuoco. If you hadn't had a chance to listen to part one yet, it is the episode directly before this one, and we recommend you go listen to that first. Now, on with the show. What made you create your new book, Put Me in a Box, and what do you hope that it might achieve? Yeah, thank you. Um, I had been teaching for a few years a, a workshop, a class about like box tie modifications. Uh, I was interested in sort of breaking down to the best of my ability and understanding what the components of box tie were how they worked and specifically like how they spoke to individual anatomies, right? Like I think that something that has happened for a lot of people, a lot of bottoms, a lot of riggers is that there's been this impression of like, if only I learn 17 different box tie patterns, I'll have the tools to tie everybody I need to. And labbing is just a process of moving through my list of 17 to figure Number 15 out which this time. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, uh, I was interested in starting to talk about like how you can see a lot about what sort of box tie is going to live best on a body based on watching somebody move themselves without any rope on based on watching somebody move themselves into box tie position. Uh, and so I, I made this class, but the class was always a very, very jumbled experience where I would start at the top of the class and I would say, I'm going to info dump a tremendous amount of information at you. And I'm going to try to give you road markers along the way that help you understand what information is relevant to you and your body and what information is information you can uh, let go of. And I would always make a joke at that point that was like, this is just this class is the most complicated flow chart ever. It really needs to be a choose your own adventure book. And then I think I just got bored of writing that, of making that joke or like at some point someone was like, you really should write that choose your own adventure book. Um, which was actually the original title of the book. And then somebody told me that it's a copyrighted title. Yeah, and that they had, so. Yeah, that they had made a Choose Your Own Adventure suspension class and that the lawyers of Choose Your Own Adventure sent them like a very nice but very firm letter being like, change the title of your suspension class. So the book title got changed as well. Um, what I like about the book format as opposed to the other thing that would happen in that class that really bothered me is that I'd be info dumping all of this information and the riggers would be like trying every single variation on their bottom on the same bottom 
on the same bottom. And I was like, this is a bottoming class. The point of this here is for you to figure out, like, what is the nugget of information relevant to you and try that. And the bottoms would end up sitting there while their riggers tied 17 different variations of box tie. (laughs) And it pissed me off. (laughs) And so what's nice about the book is, like, at the very least, if you follow the roadmaps, hopefully you get a little bit of a filtered version of all of the information. You get to move through it, hopefully with a partner. And at least in the first go, take in the information that is like most right for you, most relevant to you. Everybody re- everybody tells me, they're like, yeah, I read it from front to back, which, which blows my mind, honestly. Like when I was writing it and trying to put it in, like trying to write it from cover to cover, I was like, the format of it makes it incredibly difficult to digest. <laughs> Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. We really want to share our love of rope to as many listeners as possible, and for that we need your help. Please go to Instagram and follow our account Rope Podcast, then reshare this episode in your stories. Show your love of rope and help others discover it too. So we're going to admit to you that we don't tie boxes. TKs, yeah. TKs. Well, I guess we tie... (laughs) Okay, that's fair. We tie a very... At some times, very infrequently, we tie a very moderated version of a box tie. Um, but in general, um, for me, they're too risky. So what do you mm-hmm. see as the pros and cons and what attracts you to, to writing about them, to exploring them? Sure. I Actually, before we answer this, I just want to jump back and finish one more part of your your question because I was so excited to get a chance to put this on the record, which is that uh, writing this book has been like so deeply anxiety provoking, like putting this out into the world has come with all of the normal imposter syndrome that comes with creating anything. Um, but it is the first time that I've seen somebody try to teach box tie in this way. Um, and what I really hope for this book, uh, like what I felt was like that I had to do it perfectly. And where I've arrived at is like, I really hope that this is, the first version of like a changing box tie curriculum and that people can look at this book and be like, I see what she's trying to do there, but she could have explained this better. Or there's like a different way to think about this piece of the box tie and how it works. And like uh, you'd asked sort of like what I was hoping to do with the book. Like, of course I'm hoping to give people the tools to think critically about their bodies and how box ties work on their bodies. But also like what I really hope comes out of it is that, people in the educational people who really understand box ties, maybe understand box ties better than me, uh, get to like expand upon box tie education within this new format. Like I would love to see five years from now, I'd love to have had the chance to go to like five different people's class about box tie that starts from a place of bodies that are doing it differently than me. Um, so I hope I hope that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so you were, you were asking why I like box ties and like pros and cons. What do they of them. mean to you? What place do they have in your rope? Yeah, um, I think I came of age in the like I came to the rope world at a time when box tie was the unspoken standard, right? When if you were a bottom who didn't tie in box tie, you just really didn't get tied. Um, and so I think I was less critical of them and how they fit into my risk profile then than I maybe would be now if I was coming to rope fresh Uh, like if I was now myself uh, coming into rope for the first time 
things that I love about box tie are that it's so like, it's so versatile, right? Like all of something that is great about box tie and something that makes box tie so complicated to tie, like these things are two sides of the same coin is that you can pick it up from the front and the back and the side, and you can load it in a horizontal inverted and vertical position. And you can do that because there's like anatomical resistance to the forces of suspension in each of those positions, which isn't always true of all of the harnesses we tie. There are harnesses, when you tie a strapato, loading it in a really vertical position can be a really risky thing to do because there's not a lot of like downward anchors to resist the force of vertical suspension, right? And so there's, uh, there's a robustness to box tie as a form that is really exciting to me. Uh, I also really like my hands behind my back, right? I struggle in box ties a lot. Uh, I have a lot of nerve nerviness. I don't bottom in box ties very often. Uh, when I opt not to bottom in box ties, I feel a bit of dismay at my like options for alternatives because I don't want my arms like very rarely do I want to be like caressing my own face mm -hmm. or giving myself a hug. Like it's just not my vibe. Like I want the exposure. Want arms in front. Box tie. Yeah. I don't want arms in front. I want the feelings of exposure and vulnerability that I think are like a little bit more inherent to box tie as a form. Mm -hmm. So those are the pros to me, right? The pros are that, you can put a box tie up in the air and really, really, really change it around, which extends your airtime, uh, makes it easy to transition, makes it easy to stay in the air for longer. And like energetically, I really like the feeling of being put in that position. Mm. Like, I'm a person who had like sex dreams about bondage before I knew what sex was, mm. um, like who like eroticized bondage before I, at this time when I thought that like, penises were gross right like this is like a part of my my like erotic imagination and always like box tie form was a part of that without knowing the term box tie like this is such you know you grew up watching xena warrior princess and you know that this is a sexy position without knowing what it's called um so for all of those reasons i'm really like kind of enchanted by box ties. And for me personally, given that I came into the world of rope at a time when I maybe didn't feel like I could ask for alternatives or be quite as critical about my own personal risk factor as it related to bottom or related to box ties, because that was my trajectory, I was hyper fixated on like, I must I must under, I remember for like 12, the first 12 months being like, oh, is that what my nerves going numb feels like? Oh, is that circulation? Or, you know, the sort of normal thing that, that happens to a lot of bottoms, but it was critically important to me to understand my nerve, my nerves and my wrap placement. Like I was aware enough of the risks to know that I didn't want the negative outcomes associated with box tie. And through that, what I learned about my body is that my own body gives me really clear signals. Like for me, even though I don't bottom in box tie very often, it's not because the risks of box tie are unacceptable to me. It's because I'll probably have to come out earlier than I want to. It's because my nerves will probably go before I'm ready to be done with the suspension scene. And that's like sometimes a bummer. And so if I bottom in box tie, I often bottom with riggers who I trust can like 
untie me in the air and throw me in something, you know, like there's a high level of, uh, skill in tying box tie and in like making changes in the air that I look for if I'm going to do that in a suspension scene. Um, but yeah, I guess, I guess that's, that's how I approach it now is like, it's, it doesn't actually feel so risky to the risk. I don't actually feel at this point, like the risk of a box tie is that I'm going to get wrist drop. The risk of a box tie is that I'm going to get 20 minutes into a suspension scene and be like, Oh, there's my indicator that we've gone far enough. There are that said, you know, there are real cons to box tie. Like there are real risks associated. Like I don't want to diminish the fact that like, that was my experience. Like my experience was that I learned that my body would give me really clear signals that I could trust and rely upon. Um, and I don't think that's necessary. I think that's a very common experience. I, I do think that, that there was a lot of talk about how dangerous box ties were seven, 10 years ago at a time when there was no bottoming education. Uh, and the idea that box ties were really, really dangerous became a really prolific idea at a time when a lot of bottoms didn't know what a nerve check was. Um, or didn't know what the warning signs were. And so I do try to like encourage new bottoms to like, if they, if they desire being in box tie to create spaces for themselves to really just get to know their bodies in box tie without thinking about it as like scene time. Um, I feel like I've ram, I feel like I've like wandered a little bit. Uh, I, I started to try to talk about the cons and then I like flipped it. Like, <laughs> Cause I love them so much. I don't want to talk about the cons. I want to be in box yeah. ties all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, totally. There are like real, real nerve risks, right? Like it's the only, I've gotten nerve damage in a few different places in my like 11 years of being tied up. Um, the idea, like all of those nerve damages have been small and sensory. And the idea that I could get a nerve damage that would actually like impair motor control is like very scary. Mm. And as a, as a professional circus artist, if I came into rope right now and was told that like you have a high likelihood of being in box tie and learning about your sort of like green, yellow and red flags and like learning your body signals. But there is some possibility that you could go into box tie and be a little bit too new to understand those signals or uh, too inexperienced to assess how a box tie should feel and that there could be real motor control issues on the other side of that like i don't know that i would take on that risk anymore these days especially given how many people know a bunch of different uh alternatives that have fewer sort of like negative safety outcomes or at least different risk profiles like a chest harness yeah. without the arms might break a rib but is unlikely to destroy your radial nerve so it's like which totally. one do you take right Absolutely. Though I will say I will never take an arms free chest harness. Like I want to just shout out every single bottom <laughs> who's like, I fucking hate the sensation of hanging on my ribs. <laughs> like, um, but but that's the core of the thing is everyone likes something different and you have to cater both as the yeah. bottom to advocating for what you like and as the rigor for doing what you like tying, but also what your bottom likes being tied in. Right. Yeah. 100%. So let's make it a bit practical for our listeners. What are some of the ways um, that bottoms and uh, rope tops can work together to adjust the bo box tie to different bodies? And obviously we encourage people to buy the book, but maybe there are some tips you can give for people right now. Yeah, 100%. And for anybody who does get the book, I mean, one of the first things that I say in it is that it's really not for some like 
not designed to be a resource for somebody who's starting fresh. I'm, I'm trying right now for the first time to teach a box tie course in my like vision of what box tie courses can be. Uh, but I could only do that in person. I, I don't think that I could actually start with people who don't know a box tie pattern uh, and use a book to, to teach this way. Uh, and your tension is everything in a book can't teach you that. Right. So like, uh, totally. I think the book is a great resource and it's a supplementary resource to in-person education. Um, things that I would love to see people thinking more critically about for me, something that I've been saying in my classes more recently is that box tie is about the very first step of a box tie is figuring out the sweet spot in your body of that. Like most perfectly optimizes sustainability and stability. So what that means is we need to be stable in our body. We need to feel like without any rope on, you can pull my shoulders back as I would be in a face down and they're not going to move so much. And you can push my arms side to side as they would be in a side suspension and they're not going to move so much. And you can like push my wrists up a tiny bit as they would be in a vertical loading. And I don't feel a lot of discomfort. That's the like, uh, or, or discomfort's the wrong word. And they feel pretty secure there. Like this is our stability framework. And I want to feel comfortable here. I want to feel like I can like live here for 30, 45 minutes. This is our sustain sustainability framework. Um, you can put somebody's body into a position that is very, very stable and very, very uncomfortable for them. And that's not where you want to tie your box tie. Alternatively, you can put somebody's body in a position that is like very, very comfortable for them where if you start to poke and pull and prod, they wiggle around a whole lot. And that is also not where you want to tie your box tie. Um, and this is like a hard idea to communicate with more clarity over a podcast. But I do I do encourage people to start thinking about how they set the box tie and how they like test their own bodies together in partnership uh, as a, a product of trying to optimize for those two, those sweet, that sweet spot. Hmm. Um, beyond that, like once we find that sweet spot, our job in a box tie is to apply rope over top of that position in a way that like best supports it. Uh, meaning that our tension is tight enough that it's easy to hold. And then secondarily, meaning that all of our placements are placements that like speak to our nerve pathways or like, you know, are, are safest for our bodies and our nerves. But really like prioritizing first and foremost, setting the arms into the torso such that you've found that sweet spot, I think is really important and often a missed step in uh, it's something that's not taught as clearly in box tie education. Most of the bottoms I tie in box ties or I talk to or like bottoming friends of mine, not necessarily the ones I tie, but when I'm thinking about conversations that I've had with like other bottoming educators or really, really experienced bottoms, something that they'll tell you is that they know when the top wrap goes on, if the box tie is going to be, if the whole scene is going to be good for them or if the whole scene is going to be a struggle for them. Um, and that tells you that there's like really like setting up the body and then like locking the body, like the initial moment of locking the body into position there's like great critical importance in that moment. And that actually like how you friction your kanukis or what style of third rope you do 
is a much smaller part of the equation, despite the fact that I think it's a part of the equation that like maybe speaks a lot more to like the geeky rigor mind. Yeah. You know, People have There's... been tying the rope instead of tying the body. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's my best advice. Like find, seek out an educator, uh, locally seek out an educator who's like comfortable with body not like who has some degree of body knowledge and this is hard because this isn't a way that we're used to teaching box ties right it's easy for me to say oh seek out an educator who ties the style of box tie this is the answer you need a, you need this pattern um but i don't think that's the answer i think we really need as to like bring forward educators who really understand that specifically like How do I put a body into that sweet spot? Okay. And given um, potential cumulative damage in nerves for rope bottoms, and this is something I'm particularly interested in. I'm in my 40s. Um, I want to do rope for a lot longer. We've been doing it for about seven or eight years. How yeah. can we as rope bottoms and our, our rope tops help us have longevity in rope? What can we do to look after ourselves in rope? Yeah. I honestly don't know that I have the best answer to this question. I don't get tied up nearly as much as I'd like to. And so I don't really like struggle with this personally so much. The thing that I have, I do think there's probably like a doctor's answer to this question that I would be fascinated to hear. Um, but I'm not a doctor. So the answer that I have for this question is like for myself. And when I was in a, when I have been in sort of like living situations where I can get tied up a lot, I notice this desire to sort of like want each scene to be the kind of like trans. How do I say this? Like I have an idea in my head of what like the perfect scene looks like or feels like what the, like the, the best outcome for a rope scene could be. It like involves a sort of like headspace attainment um, and like a certain level of like, feeling of achievement in my body, right? A certain amount of stress, a certain amount of struggle. And it's been helpful for me to realize that a lot of, that there are a lot of ingredients that go into that scene beyond just like my own body and my own rigor skill. That I'm very unlikely to achieve that sort of like awesome headspace if I'm in a dungeon with bump and music or if I'm like tying with somebody new to me. Um, and so one piece of advice that I often give to bottoms as it relates to longevity is like start to step back and think more critically about what an optimal scene looks like for you. Uh, optimal is such a weird word in this circumstance. I feel like we're like optimizing our rope bondage. Let's optimize the fun. We need to have <laughs> yeah, efficient exactly. fun. <laughs> yeah, totally. But like, I would encourage bottoms to think about like, is there a sort of feeling that you chase a lot? And are you successful at chasing it often? Uh, and probably the answer is no. Like most of us have a lot of scenes where we're like, oh, that was, that was nice. It wasn't the like transcendent experience that I maybe hoped it would be. Um, and I think we set ourselves up for a lot more success and set our bodies up for a lot more success if we can take a step back and be like, actually the ingredients that are available to me right now are the ingredients for a very sort of like low-key, fun, casual rope scene, or the ingredients that are available to me right now are the ingredients that suggest we're going to go up and do like a transition or two, and then maybe we'll drop into a partial and play with wax, or um, and that might be a, a better a better route to the sort of headspace that I'm looking to 
to achieve. Creating for yourself a variety of different options for what a really great rope scene could look like, as opposed to chasing the rope scenes of deep headspace, deep suffer, deep struggle, um, which I think is something that a lot of people chase. Um, that feels like a great starting point to me for like helping our bodies have more longevity is just really like noticing like actually right now might be a great time to try to find that really really deep really heavy really like scene that i fantasize about um but 90 percent of the time it's probably not beyond that here i am learn a few different patterns right like <laughs> cumulative nerve damage is so real cumulative stress on the body is so real i've been telling people a lot because people and i've been working with a lot of people about like what their perfect box tie is right but that perfect box tie is going to stop being so perfect if you use it four times a week for the next year and so being able to switch it up even if you feel really confident in a certain harness is going to extend your longevity and rope Great advice. Maybe don't type all Katashi transition sequences, like oh, using up the exact same parts of your body every single day. Maybe mix it yes. up a bit. <laughs> yes. Okay. Foucault, you're involved with a project called Cut the Leash. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. Um, Cut the Leash is a zine that I started. I It's a, a zine of the intersection of leftist thought and like thoughts about BDSM. I'm uh, a leftist personally, like progressive politics are a really big part of my value system. Earlier, I talked about sort of discerning who I wanted to be in community with. Um, and that has been a big part of part of my own journey is realizing that I want to be in kinky space with people, but I also want to be in kinky space with people who like share my politics or who view kink as a sort of political project in ways. Um, and so this zine was a way of trying to start conversations amongst those people or trying to like learn more about how other people thought about that precisely. And so it's been, we've brought in submissions of people who, oh, first of all, I had this idea and then I immediately reached out to my friend Gray in Oakland and they've been co-producing this with me through th three volumes. Uh, we've published a lot of submission we've published essays on sort of like the history of rope spaces in japan and the ways that like the mainstreaming bondage pushed out sex workers from those spaces in japan we've published essays about neurodivergence in negotiation and neurodivergence in kink we published a witch issue and sort of talked about witchiness and rope practices so it's a it's a fun project i love a zine probably because i'm Uh, sort of have grown up in a, a leftist tradition, getting a sort of like collage style zine co compiled by a bunch of punks is like fun for me. And I wanted to do something like that for for rope spaces. So that's available on my website. It's um, and if you're somebody listening who's a leftist who has thoughts about kink, um, we probably will make another issue at some day, someday. Um, And yeah, keep your eyes out for submissions. We pay all of our, all of our people, uh, not just authors. We pay all of our authors and artists and contributors, not much, but we do try to pay everybody. We don't ask anybody to sign contracts because we don't believe in contracts or the 
<laughs> we explicitly tell you that we're never going to take you to court. Um, it's been a, this is a fun way of saying that we tried really hard to politicize our process too, and think about what it would look like to pour our value system into the creation of this product such that it really supported everybody who was contributing and wasn't just like a, um, a moneymaker for one of us. And is it digital yeah. as well, or is it just a physical product? It's not digital. I had such high hopes that it would be digital, but you no, know, it's just, it's a lot of work to do that. <laughs> What's yeah, the address maybe, of the website for our listeners who are interested in getting their hands on that? Uh, Cuttheleash.com. Okay. And what about uh, your book, Put Me in a Box? What's the best way to obtain that? Same website. That's okay. sort of become my own landing page generally. So you can find my book there. You can find the zines there. You can find a contact form for me there. You can learn about some of my like weekend intensives or educational offerings. I had the lofty goal of keeping my like travel plans updated on there, but I'm really bad at the whole admin side of freelancing. So there might be a bit of out-of-date information, but that's the place to get in touch All with right. me. CutTheLeash.com. Thank you so much, Foco, for talking to us today. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thanks for listening. And have fun tying.